This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. My very first attempt at archery elk hunting lasted 48 hours. I have to make a decision right then if I'm going to wait for him to turn and hopefully get a broadside shot without him moving or if I'm gonna shoot him down the throat. I've been blasted before on social media because I, I, I was like the five point king. I would much rather sleep in a cot than on the side of a 45 degree angle hillside. I feel like there's so much misinformation out there about fitness and supplements to take, what your body needs, all these sort of things that it, it kind of drives me nuts. This is Jeff Moran, one of the co-founders of Built for the Hunt or builtforthehunt.com and you're listening to The Wild Initiative. Put down your latte and pull on your boots. Our culture needs people that are leaders and not people that are waiting for somebody else to show them how to do it. Those fields of tofu, that was formerly habitat for wildlife. You're killing off wildlife by being a vegetarian just as much as a hunter when he kills a deer. I'm like, well, you see that bush right there? (laughs) There's your bathroom. (laughs) My dad wears a Levi jacket. He sits in front of a sagebrush and he tells me the best camo is hold still. Not to Donnie Vincent this, but be relentless in everything you do. Don't crap out. Go back to the truck with excuses or whatever. Okay, assume I get a deer. How do I cut it up to fit into a Honda Civic? Just get outside. Just get outside and go. Because once you do, it's all gravy from there. Hey, this is Zach Griffith. This is Hannah Barron. This is Jason Phelps of Phelps Game Calls. Hey, guys, this is Cody Rich from the Rich Outdoors podcast. What's up, guys? This is Chad Mendez. You're listening to The Wild Initiative. Hey, y'all, welcome to episode 123 of The Wild Initiative. Before we get started, I want to say a big thank you to Sawyer Products. Y'all, as you are heading out on your continued hunting trips, make sure y'all are checking out Sawyer Products. They offer the best as far as insect repellent, sunscreen, first aid, and especially water filtration. Y'all, their products are bulletproof. I use them on every single one of my hunts, so make sure y'all check them out at sawyer.com. 
Also, y'all, if you are subscribing to the podcast, you may have noticed a few extra weekly releases coming out. Would love to hear what y'all think of those. I'm releasing a weekly conservation segment. It's really quick called a conservation coffee break. It is just a quick hit. Right now, we're introducing various conservation organizations. Eventually, I want to take it to a place where I can give you your weekly or bi-weekly flash briefing for conservation. So would love to hear back some feedback on what y'all think of that as well as really who you would like to hear next on the Conservation Coffee Break. Also, y'all, I'm really excited to have Katie Berger releasing her Fish Untamed podcast weekly as part of the Wild Initiative Network. Y'all make sure you head on over to thewildinitiative.com, click on the media tab, and you can find links to all the shows, or you can go straight to Katie's website at fishuntamed.com. Once again, excited to have her on and really happy y'all are listening to both the Wild Initiative and Fish Untamed. All right, y'all, getting right into today's episode. Uh, This is actually uh, guy I've wanted to have on the podcast for a while now. We just really haven't been able to sync up prior to this, but y'all, I'm excited to have Jeff Moran of Built for the Hunt on the podcast today. Y'all, as archery elk season is ending, I'm just excited to share a few stories about people that uh, struggled through and ultimately found some great success. So excited to have Jeff on. He went on a really just brutal, epic elk hunt and pulled out a st- of an elk, so excited to have him uh, share his story with y'all. So without further ado, on to episode 123 with Jeff Moran of Built for the Hunt. All right, y'all, I am here with Jeff Moran of Built for the Hunt. I am off in Montana. This guy is just recently back from his pretty epic elk hunt, and uh, I think we're going to probably end up talking a little bit about that, but Jeff, thanks for uh, hopping on the line with me, man. Finally glad we got to do this. We've been talking about it forever. Yeah, we've been back and forth. I didn't make it to the Hunt Expo, so I appreciate you taking the time off, especially when you're on your hunt to uh, to have me on, man. I appreciate it. No, absolutely, man. Um, so I always like to start out with just a little bit of background about you. How did you kind of get started in the outdoors and hunting and, and all of this? Oh, started? Shoot, I don't know. I was probably a baby at that point. Um, it kind of grew up in the family. The family doesn't really hunt or do a whole lot of that stuff anymore, but I, it was kind of one of those things where grow up in small town Idaho, you want to be like dad and your uncle and everything and want to be a part of what everybody's doing. And and uh, we'd go out. Wintertime was always rifle season. You get into the fall and we'd chase deer around. Um, I think I was probably like nine or ten the first time I remember going out hunting. Um, so my, I like begged my dad to shoot a little forked horn buck and, uh, he ended up doing it. I, I kind of remember a little bit about it, but that was like the coolest shit ever as, as a kid. So that just kind of got me hooked on it. And, and I grew up kind of as a rifle hunter and, and, uh, my family doesn't, what I do, how I hunt now is completely different from how I grew up. I had to teach myself everything as far as what I do now, but, uh, it was drive around on the road spot see someone binos go walk down the draw and hopefully get a shot at something it was just kind of the uh that was the world i grew up in i thought it, I, and i had a blast doing it it was it was a good time we uh between that and like goose hunting uh actually if i move back out to idaho here shortly and you make it out that way we can uh we can throw you in a pit shoot a whole bunch of geese if you want Heck but yeah. um that was that was kind of my life is, is I'd go out after school and goose on or or uh, in the mornings or the weekends and and then we'd get 
obviously we get the big game season, but it wasn't anything special until um, about halfway through. I've been hunting for like 21, 22 years or something like that now. So I started, once I started like archery hunting and backcountry hunting, like the whole world changed, but the, uh, that's a whole different lifestyle than how I grew up with. As far as just my, my starting to the outdoors, that was pretty much it. We didn't really go camping or anything as kids. I didn't, uh, hunting was pretty much it. And, and I guess my brain still functions that way. If I go camping, I gotta, like, I have to do something. We have to go like find something. And, uh, <laughs> I can't just like sit there peaceful in the mountains and like enjoy the view. I, I, I gotta go take something. So <laughs> you laugh, but it's true. I'm like, shit, where, where's a trail? Where's something we can go find? So. <laughs> You see that peak up there? We're going to be there in an hour. We're going that way. <laughs> no water? Who cares? Let's do it. <laughs> so what prompted kind of then your your start or your love for this whole archery hunting, backcountry hunting, and all of that? Like, what? I'll tell you the exact moment. I was like two and a half miles back off of the road. I was rifle hunting during general deer season. No roads, no nothing back there, okay? And... I was, I knew that there was like some deer, they were bedded on this little like finger that I was coming up to. Uh, yeah, two, two and a half, three miles. And then all of a sudden I hear his four wheeler. And I was like, what in the hell is going on? Then all of a sudden from the tree line, like a hundred yards from me on the right hand side, I've been sitting there waiting for these deer to get up for like two or three hours. This guy comes, his, his big old, this big fat dude. And I'm sorry, that's probably not very nice, but this big dude comes over the top of this ridge on a four-wheeler, like through the trees. He's got a 12-pack of Corona strapped to the back of this four-wheeler, and he's like half drunk. <laughs> and I'm just like, you know what? I, I'm done with this. I'm not doing this like rifle general season crap anymore. And then it, it was that same trip, too. I saw side-by-side. This was the first time that side-by-side was when they were first starting to come out. Um, there was two guys in the side-by-side and there was another guy standing on top and they had like some makeshift mount on the top of their side-by-side with a rifle attached to it. And I'm like, this is just not, this ain't for me. So this is like something that you see in military or like the movies. <laughs> this looks like it belongs in Mad Max or something where you guys are running over the sand dunes with rifles on the top. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I was done with it. So I, I decided, you know what, I'm going to buy a pack frame and uh, <clears throat> I'm going to throw a backpack on it and uh, I'm going to give this archery thing a try um, to get away from people. And, and uh, I never really felt comfortable when you'd be out there and all of a sudden you see a whole bunch or hear a whole bunch of rounds start popping off from a rifle standpoint too. That makes you a little bit nervous. So Yeah, that part's always kind of bothered me. I, you know, I haven't really run into that too much during hunting season because I kind of started with the archery thing. Yeah. But, you know, people ask me, like, aren't you concerned about bears? I'm like, typically, I'm more concerned about other idiots in the woods than I am about anything, like any animal out there, except for maybe rattlesnakes. Screw them. Uh, <laughs> so here's a uh, fun fact about me and everybody on, <laughs> everybody on this podcast or listens to this might be interested to know what in the hell. So I grew up as a, uh, my dad breeds uh, reptiles and snakes. Oh hundreds of them and uh yes yeah, so i grew up around all that stuff i can go out and like mess with a rattlesnake or something that doesn't bother me but for the most part they're, they're just there now if it was a mountain lion i have problems with that if i see tracks i'm kind of nervous and they scare the hell out of me. other than that oh man but yeah you haven't experienced the fun of bullets flying over the top of your head before and <laughs> 
if you draw a hunt, it's not so bad, but sometimes those, those general seasons get kind of interesting. I've been in a situation where like people, like three different people on different ridgelines are shooting at the same deer. It's like, Oh yeah, this is, this is fun. It just, that amazes me too, because I mean, to a certain extent, I, I understand it. Like you get longer distances. You don't necessarily like, you know, you're shooting, you're shooting at a deer, say from 400 yards, whatever. I mean, you, it's entirely possible that somebody else could have their sights on the same deer. Like I, to some extent understand that, but some of the stories I hear about what happens in, on public <laughs> land when the, when the orange army starts coming out. Oh man. It's like horrifying. So you, uh, it's just go for it. And I don't even know. Actually, I have a buddy. Well, he's not really a buddy. He's a guy that I worked with a few years back that he told me he shot, he shot one time and, and, uh, it, he didn't, he didn't hit the guy, but he thought it was a deer and it was a person I'm like, Oh, just one of those guys that they see movement. And he's like, Oh shit, I'm shooting. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm glad I'm not in the, the woods with you, buddy. Oh, the so, thought of that just horrifies me. I, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not so bad. Like, I, I'm guessing that if you did the backcountry thing on some of these like public land general hunts that I know of, it would actually be kind of fun. And I, I have guys right now; they just got back to town, um, where that's what they do. They're packing in like eight, ten miles. They may take horses or mules or something like that. And I'm sure that the rifle season could be fun that way. But I didn't grow up experiencing that, and I, I just kind of wanted to just try something different. And the only thing I knew of was. The only thing I thought of first, first of all, so the reason I started with elk was because I can hear them. There's like something magical per se about like a, a bull bugling in the morning or at nighttime or something like that. And that you can kind of go after them that way. Mm -hmm. um, and now mule deer is fun too. I actually had the mule deer hunt in uh, November. That's archery. So that would be a little bit different, but the idea of like, Elk got me started because I knew that, that I could hear them and that I just, I don't know, I was used to goose hunting. So I just wanted to try my hand at calling something in and it worked <laughs> out too. And it should never work that way, but it, it was a good time. And so I've just been kind of hooked ever since. I'd never killed a bull before until I started archery hunting. It was always cows. So I just kind of went with it. We'll see. I come, uh, Come October twentieth, once my uh, once my archery permits up and uh, we start getting into the rifle season, I think I might kind of be at the point where I'm ready to just grab the rifle and and shoot the first cow that I see uh, <laughs> in a legal in a legal There's unit. There's no problem with that. I mean, shoot, I probably shot like eight or ten cows growing up before I ever started like bull hunting. And you know what? It, it puts it puts food on the table. It's the same type of experiences. I mean there is something cool and unique about shooting something at six, seven, 800 yards. There is, but shooting something at like 15 yards, it's like screaming at you. It's just, I don't know. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, if, so if I didn't, um, if I didn't shoot a bull on this trip that I was at, I was going back to Idaho right now to shoot a cow, but I got lucky. So I don't have any problem sending a, sending a bullet at a cow. If I want to put meat in the freezer. Work. well and that's what it comes down to is you know what i've i've put in the work i've had the experience and uh, at that point i think i'm just going to be ready to fill the freezer and, and get home you know i'll be i'll be pushing like a month and a half at that point and so 
uh, it's, it's a long trip, but you're out there like learning by yourself though. And you, I mean, for somebody who's fairly new to the game, I guess it, uh, there's some big learning curves and a lot of failures that take place before you get there. And it's, it's, uh, good for you, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's bad, but yeah, you, it's, that's just tough. It, it is hunting is tough in general. And, and, uh, I guess when you get to, <clears throat> we can even spin that to the social media thing. Like, Everybody always talks about how they're upset because they see everybody like holding the gripping grins left and right. And that's what everybody wants to post all the time. But shit, it's like less than 20% of people like actually harvest an animal a year. And people yeah. forget all. They keep that like hidden. It kind of bothers me. Like I generally harvest because I'm like a crazy person and I don't stop until the game is over. But the, like most people, they need to realize that, that yeah, it's, it's difficult and if you don't harvest something like it's not the worst thing in the world like the learning experience that I take from it well and i mean so much of it so much of what i've realized is the key is just time like time in the woods time chasing after them like even you know all of even the experienced guys i've talked to they're like it still took me two and a half weeks to you know get a bull that i wanted to shoot like you know, and I failed a lot of stocks and this and that. And, um, if all you have is, is a week to commit to elk hunting, you know, that's awesome. Take the week and hunt as hard as you can, but you're still not going to have the same opportunity as someone that's able to commit a month, month and a half, two months to being out in the woods. Well, and that's the one thing that I get, cause I've been blasted before on social media because I, I, I was like the five point king. Like every bull that I shot was a five point or I shot cows or I shot, but I've shot lots of little pork and orange and everything else for deer. Um, and everybody's like, you got to shoot a mature or something or whatever. It's like, well, dude, I only have like four or five days or six days. And if I get the opportunity, I'll send it. Now I have gotten to the point now where I, I dedicate a couple of weeks to elk season, but, um, yeah, it goes to time. Now, quick story. My very first attempt at archery elk hunting lasted 48 hours. And we had five bull range and we shot one. After that, the, the quickest that I've shot one ever since then has been like seven days. Yeah. And it's like, you can't, it's just gotten harder and harder every year. I swear to God. But, uh, yeah, there, it, you do, you need to dedicate time and you're going to fail a bunch of times. And if you're going to try and harvest like a mature animal, that's going to take a lot of time too. It's not, um, you're not just going to randomly, he's not going to randomly come into you. He's not, I mean, I blew, we'll get into it. I'm sure, but I blew stocks on the bull that I ended up shooting twice before I ended up getting an actual shot. And the shot that I took 95% of people aren't going to take. So I mean, it was a good shot, but most people would be hesitant to take it. So speaking of that, man, let's, let's start talking about this hunt. I, uh, to some extent, like avoided reading the full story because I wanted to, I knew I was going to get you on the podcast to talk about it. And, uh, so I wanted, you know, I checked out some of the pictures and, and stuff, but like, I wanted to hear the story from you, man. I wanted, I wanted to get it fresh from you. So, I mean, so technically, even if you go through and you, you look at my stories and post and everything, I, I haven't push the story at all. I haven't really talked about it. I did do a couple like stories where I, I talked about that. It was, it was a rough, difficult hunt, but other than that, we haven't, uh, I haven't gotten into any details on what it entitled or anything like that. We're actually, it was all filmed. 
so we're we're going to push that out. I think uh, we'll send the final draft out to full draw and see if they're going to take it. So it'd be really cool if that's out there. But I guess we'll start with the filming thing. So normally I'm a I'm a solo hunter. I prefer to go out there by myself. I mean, once in a while, I'll take somebody with me who I'm trying to get them an animal. But on this hunt in particular, this hunt is in a very rough, rugged terrain. Technically, it's if you talk to guides and outfitters and they want to get into the terrain, they'll probably tell you it's some of the worst terrain in the lower 48. Like, it's just not forgiving. It's hard to get to. And uh, so I don't like to take people in there. And I agreed to take a cameraman in there so that people could watch me, like, fail and struggle and the type of stuff that I go through and the pain and everything that I deal with. And it did not disappoint. Let's put it that way. Um, <laughs> it was, it was a nightmare from the get go. Uh, we got up there and it was sunny. And then the next day, the temperatures dropped like 20, 25 degrees or maybe a little bit more. And it started raining on us. And then the fog came in and we didn't, the very first morning we got up to the spot and I, I told my buddy, who's the cameraman. And I said, I, I always shoot them here. So I don't, if I hear anything down there, unless it's big, I'm not going to go. Cause I don't want to shoot one here. <laughs> and uh, it sounds bad, but it's like one of those little honey holes that, that I just know that they're going to be there. And sure enough, we got up there and within like 20 minutes of that sun coming up, you could hear a bugle. And I'm like, well, Nope, I don't hear anything that's big enough. So we're, we're headed out. And then the fog and the rain and everything came in that night. And we decided, I was like, we're going to go pack in on the other side. And so the next morning with the wind and it being at like 30, uh, it was colder than most September's. And we packed in, I think about six miles and we set up camp. And, and when I pack in, I don't go very light. So my pack was like 70 pounds or so, but I trained for it. Like I'm, I'm used to it. I'm ready for these kind of things. If we get back in there and I shit you not, we set up camp. <laughs> we go walking down this trail. We got to go like another four miles to where I want to glass at. And we get about a mile down the trail and these two dudes come walking down the trail. I'm like, you've got to be shitting me. I'm seven miles in there. <laughs> Dude's from Florida. He's going to listen to this for sure. His name is Jason. Um, <laughs> dude from Florida, dude from Oklahoma. I'm like, I'm like way in the shit in Idaho. Like, there's not supposed to be people here. Like, what am I, what is going on? And I just was, <laughs> I was pissed. Let's put it that way. Um, we hadn't really seen anything, which was kind of a, the crazy thing. Um, I think we had seen like six or seven total head. And normally I'm in a place where I see like 25 to 50 head a day, if not more. And we'd only seen just a handful of and so we uh, we dive back in there and we're kind of up high at that point for Idaho high like elevations like seven or eight thousand feet like it doesn't get it's not like Colorado where you get to like twelve thousand or something so we don't have to deal with some of that elevation issues but it is it's steep uh, you, you can probably tell by some of the photos that it's steep and uh, when we we got out to the spot that I wanted to glass and we spotted some elk but they were like six or seven miles away five. Uh, between five and six miles away and they were like 3000 feet below us. Jeez. And, and it's, I mean, it's a straight drop 3000 feet to get down there. And then you got to skirt across the bottom. Um, that was where they all were. We were running into bears up high. We were running into some deer here and there, but I couldn't, I couldn't find out my entire. So I've been hunting this area for like 20 years, um, give or take going back and forth across the units. And I've always had my mind set on this, like one hillside, that for as long as I can remember as a kid, it was like 
this thing that every single night, this great big herd bull would push his cows out onto this hillside. And it was like that for 20 years. I'm sure they just like changed hands into the next bull and the next bull. And I was like, I'm going to hunt that hillside. Finally, it's like 12 miles from the road. And we get out there and the only thing I find on the hillside is a bear. And I was like, this is so stupid. I was so pissed because we're soaking wet. It's raining. It's cold. I, and if I'm going to, if I'm going to be a giant baby about anything, it's going to be the rain. Like I can deal with the snow and I can deal with everything. I can deal with the cold, but if it's raining on me, you can ask my cameraman, Caleb, like I just throw a fit. (laughs) I just complain. So, uh, actually we had a, (laughs) the second day that we were packed in way back in there, I was kind of like how you and I were talking earlier where I woke up and it was raining and I just, he kind of looked at me and cause we're in this like small climate tent, their climate's new tent. We had that out there. I think it's, uh, it did really well, but it's not a four season tent. We were definitely in that fourth season of life. <laughs> and, uh, the, the, uh, I looked at him, I'm like, no, dude, I'm not getting up. I'm just going to lay here. And it didn't stop raining. I think it stopped raining at like nine or 10 o'clock in the afternoon. That's the first time in God knows how long I've gotten up that late to go hunting. Did you just refer to nine or 10 o'clock as the afternoon? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's a hunter for you right there. That is like this crazy schedule. So yeah, that's kind of the afternoon for me. That's like, that's the, it's funny. I I only call that out because I super relate to it when, (laughs) I mean, when you're, when you're getting up and trying to get to your glassing point before, before it's even light, you know, that's, that's the start of your day. And so it does like come nine, 10 o'clock. You're like, it feels like it's the afternoon at this point. It's like middle of the day. <laughs> Let's keep going. Well, and then in my daily life, like I'm up, my alarm goes off at 3am and I'm like, I get up and I start working at like four o'clock in the morning for company stuff. And so, yeah, by the time I get to like 10 o'clock in the afternoon, I got to go to my next job or whatever. And I'm just, that's just how I run my life. And yeah. But yeah, for me to get up at 10 o'clock in the afternoon, it's, uh, it, that's not normal, especially for hunting. But yeah, it was miserable. Everything about that hunt was terrible. It didn't stop raining the entire time. It had dropped down into the 30s and low 40s. Like We couldn't catch a break. Like every, it's, it's one of those things. And I didn't have boots. So the worst thing ever about being wet is if your boots don't hold the water out. When your feet are wet and you're in that kind of terrain and everything, it's just, you just want to cry. Like, <laughs> To be honest about it, like there's a, there's some pictures and everything. We got to a spot like five or five or six miles from camp. We started trying to glass, and we were waiting until the evening um, so we could get up and go down this ridge where I thought elk were. They weren't, but that's where I thought they were. And we, I got up and I was like, "Dude, I'm starting a fire. I'm cold. I'm soaking wet. Like we and we started this little fire on the side of the mountain. Hopefully, fishing game doesn't get mad at me for this, but it was raining. It's not." And uh, we like are hanging our socks and our boots and everything all over the place just to try and dry out. It was just a, it was a mess <laughs> the whole time. And so yeah, see, I'm complaining. I'm throwing a baby baby bitch fit right now about uh, <laughs> the rain. But it, I mean, it was it was good. And you know what? The, the I mean, I wouldn't change anything about the hunt, but it was it was pretty miserable. So we, I think we we were on day like five or six. We came back over to base camp and i knew i so i had a couple hit list bulls um a couple really big bulls that i knew of and i i decided 
the one day, I think it was like a Saturday morning that we were going to get up. We were going to go to this one spot and we were going to take off down the rim and it was going to take us out there like four miles and we were going to drop like 2,500 feet to get to this like patch of timber and everything that I knew of that would hold some decent bolt if they were going to be down there. And we got there and of course it was Saturday. We're, we're in general season. So there was like a truck parked every 400 feet. And I was, I got mad. I threw a fit. We couldn't go anywhere. And then we went back up to the top over by base camp and the, the fog was so bad. We just sat there for like five hours and couldn't hear anything, couldn't see anything. By this point, we're, we're like five or six days in. And I think we've seen like 15 elk and we've easily seen 15 bears. Like, <laughs> um, I got to the point where, cause I knew I was going in there and we were, since it was all being filmed, I was hoping to shoot something decent in size. Um, I, like I said, I'm like the five point king. So everything is always a satellite bowl, but I got to the point where I, I like had text somebody with the, the in reach. I'm sure you have one of those. Oh yeah. But, uh, Oh yeah, you do from the very first year when you got stranded. Um, the, so I, I text somebody, I'm like, you know what? I'm over it. I'm tired of this hunt. I'm pissed. I'm throwing a fit. Like I, I know I'll get a shot because that's the type of person I am. Like I just have confidence in that standpoint, but I was just going to shoot the first like branch antler bull that walked up. Like that was it. I was going to find my way to one and I was going to shoot him. It was just very difficult, especially when everything is wet and, it's just a, a mental grind. That's the one thing about some of that backcountry stuff is it's it's hard, it's heavy, uh, it's a struggle. And it, from a mental standpoint, that's where you're going to fail most of the time. Um, so we we got in there and and um, finally it kind of cleared up. It was still like wet and raining, and we went back to my same spot. It's like a couple miles to get to the top of it, and we heard a bull bugle. And I'm like, all right, dude, we're going. <laughs> we bailed off we just bailed off. We dropped like 1500 feet. And then we heard this bull bugle again and he bulls a couple more or bugles a couple more times. And I stuck down in on him and, uh, he had a couple cat or he had a couple, I thought it was a couple cows. Let's put it that way. And I get down there and I have, I don't carry binos. Like I don't carry a bino harness or anything like that. Um, everything always sits in my pack is I, I look at a distance and then I, go after whatever I find. And so I, <clears throat> I see this elk stand there and I point him out to Caleb and I look at him in the range finder. I can tell he's a six point, but we're in like the dark timber. So I can't tell like how big he is. He just, but he doesn't sound big. So I'm like, you know what? He's got a couple cows. I'm just going to shoot him. And he was at 80, almost 80 yards, like 84 yards or whatever. And then I stuck a couple extra feet. You can see it on the film and the bull, he, he doesn't see me or anything. He just kind of moves over and gets to his cows. And so I bugled at him. I thought he was going to come up and like challenge me. And um, he just grabbed his cows and left. And I, I, it, it blew my mind. He just like, because they were just over the top of this like little, or they were just over this little ledge that sat in front of me. And when I bugled at him, he like kind of chirped or whatever and grabbed his cows and left. And I was like, what in the hell just happened? <laughs> He's like, nah, I'm good, homie. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. I'm going to take my bitches elsewhere. Um, and uh, he, he took them. Shoot. I didn't, I, we hadn't seen him. I knew he was a six point. So I was like, okay. Well, usually at that point, like they have a whole bunch of their satellite bulls running around, but there wasn't anything. It was just, there was just a bunch of cows and this bull. And then we're sitting there and we see these cows come out on this ridge above us they're like 250 yards on the other side. And I'm like, 
dude, that's a, that's a lot of elk. And we're sitting there and it's like one cow after another, after another, they're all like single file coming out of these trees. Well, there's 27 cows pop out and then this bull pops out and he's not small. <laughs> Just this big bastard. And I'm like, no way. It would have been one of those situations where I shot him thinking he was just like some little regular six point and my eyes would have popped out of my head if I saw him when he went home. But, uh, <laughs> uh, so I, I knew exactly where he was going because I knew that that terrain in that specific area really well. And so I told uh, I told Caleb what he was going to do and I it's on film and everything. I explained it. And we got up the next morning at... 233 or whatever to make sure to climb up there and we went in in the dark and we sat there and, and uh, we waited for him to bugle and i told i told caleb i was like he's going to bugle he's going to be right down here i know exactly what's going to take place and he did exactly what i said <laughs> he bugled, bugled right after the sun came up and we snuck right down there in on him and right exactly where i said he was going to be and we his cows were right there and when we saw his cows, they were at like 120 yards and they were kind of feeding away from me a little bit. And I didn't see him. And then he bugles, he's up over the top of the hill and he's like pushing other cows around. So I'm like, okay, I got to get, I, I'm going to have to move and just a little bit because of where his cows were. And I'm super impatient. I think I'd posted a story about it today. Um, my patience sometimes is, is not good. Um, I can't just sit there and wait for them. And that's probably why tree stand hunting is like the worst thing in the world for me because I just can't sit there. I can't handle it. And so I start moving up this trail. I tell Caleb, I got to get up this trail. And as I'm walking, I'm like kind of sneaking up the trail. One of the cows turns around and looks at me right about the same time. He came over the top of the ridge and he's coming down. He's at like 95 yards and he was going to walk in between me and the cows and push them out. And he was going to, if I could cut the distance like another 15 yards, he was going to come down at like 50 yards. I was going to get shot. And of course I wasn't patient. I had to move and try and get behind a tree and get up to him closer. And one of his cows turned around and saw me and the whole herd busted. And you want to talk about like being frustrated. Cause at that point I know he's like well over like 320. And yeah, so you blow another stock and you have to sit there and question your existence and life and, and uh, everything else. And, and I was pretty pissed, but I told Caleb what we were going to do and I got him into some, some bad rough. We basically had to uh, rappel up the side of this cliff to get over to where I want to be. And um, we made it. It took a while. And then we kind of sat around for most of the day. And we made some mistakes. We didn't, we didn't bring nearly enough water. I brought like four liters and he brought one liter of water. Oof. So we'll get into that in a minute. But uh, we went and I, I thought that this bull, well, this, this bull started bugling. He's around the corner. Um, he was going to bed. I knew he was going to bed down there. And if, if one thing about elk, like if you kick them on their bed, they're going to run off. They're going to run to the next county. But they're gone. So we kind of sat down and hung out all day until about four o'clock. And then we, we tried to cut the distance in half to get to him. And he picked up all his cows and we thought he was going to bring his cows down to water. And so we set up like a little makeshift blind and we, this is where we get into like the tree stand life. And I'm like sitting there impatient, twirling my thumbs. <laughs> and he, he bugles and he, it sounds like he's coming to us. And then all of a sudden he's gone. Um, he was like a few hundred yards away. And, uh, I, I couldn't take it any longer. I'm like, I got, we got to go after him. 
which usually is probably a mistake at that point just because it's what I do. But I know if I bugle at him, he's just going to push his cows out. So um, this is the second year in a row that I haven't actually bugled or called one in. Um, but we, so we get up on this trail and we're walking towards them and I get to a point where I'm like, man, they, they are close. He hasn't bugled for a little bit. I'm like, wait, he's close. And uh, I, you can smell them because they just smell terrible. But uh, <laughs> I told Caleb, I was like, I'm dropping my pack because they're really close. And we're trying to talk back and forth. And you know, you're like 10, 10 yards apart. And he can't hear me. And I'm like, I don't give a shit what you do, dude. I'm dropping my pack. We're going from here. And uh, I walk like five feet after I drop my pack. And I look down and there's a cow standing right there at like 65 yards. I'm like, oh, shit. So had I not taken the pack off, I would have been pissed. Um, but they're, they're right there. So there's one at like 40 yards. There's a cow at like 60. There's a couple of them at like 60. There's some of them down in a little bit farther, like 80. And I can't see him at all. I can't see him anyways. And Caleb's back behind me with the camera and he's like trying to point something out to me, but I don't, I'm trying to get him to like not move too much or anything like that. And, uh, all of a sudden the bull bugles and he's out in front of me somewhere. I can't see him. And Caleb's like, he's coming, he's coming. Just he's on the left, he's coming. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and standing there, I'm like looking through the rangefinder, trying to see what's going on. And and um it was just one of those moments that was at that it was like made for the movies, kind of. Um this this bull walks down this trail and like this is thick timber all the way through. When you see it in the film, you'll see what I'm talking about. But there's like a gap that's the size of an elk. In, in all of this timber and that's the only place that he could literally, literally the only place that he could stop that would make a shot possible and he walks in the the field of view uh, into that little gap and he stops and he turns right to us and he bugles right at us <laughs> and I, like muddy everything and he lifts his head up and he and i range my i range him right then at 56 yards and i was like well yeah, that's going to be a tough one because he's looking right at me and Caleb's moving back there or something. I don't know what he's doing with the camera. And so I arranged him, I put the rangefinder down and all of a sudden his cows bust. And I was like, well, shit. And as soon as his cows bust, he turns his head to look at them, like what's going on. But he hasn't figured out what we are yet. Mm -hmm. So when he turns his head, I draw back. I've got like a split second. He turns and looks right back at us and he like, doesn't know what, what the deal is and i'm i have to make a, a decision right then if i'm going to wait for him to turn and hopefully get a broadside shot without him moving or if i'm going to shoot him down the throat and most people at that distance are not going to feel comfortable taking that shot and i sent it fuck it <laughs> most people are going to be upset about that but when you watch the film that arrow hits him and blood goes everywhere you didn't make it far. Well, that's the thing uh, about those frontal shots is like when you nail it, they're devastating, man. They are just brutal. It, uh, I've killed a couple of them that way and they usually don't make it far. And he, he made it a lot farther than the rest only because when he started rolling, he didn't stop for a very long way. <laughs> um, he went about 400 feet straight down, but he was like, he was dead on his feet right away. But I knew, so I have had situations where an elk at like 40 yards was fully broadside, didn't realize I was there. And when I sent an arrow, he completely did a 90 degree flip and I hit him right in the ass. Oh. 
he died. But I hit a, I just got really lucky and hit an artery mm-hmm. and bled out within like a hundred yards. But the, that was a situation where I was like, you know what? He's, he's facing me. If he's going to turn, he's going to turn towards his cows and it's going to be at like a 45 degree angle to go after them. And if my arrow, like I'm, I'm shooting that prime, uh, CT five with an 82 pound draw, like the arrows are coming out fast. And, um, I know that if, if he, I just felt comfortable in that situation that he was so curious about what we were or what was going on that he wasn't moving. Yeah. And it wasn't until after the arrow had already like basically disappeared into his chest that he spun to move away. Um, but had he moved just enough to try and take that step when the arrow was on its way, I was going to hit him. If I, there was a small window where I could have hit him in the shoulder and most people would be upset about that. But I mean, I, there's enough people that shoot. I had a buddy that shouldered a bull at like 30 yards standing broadside. I mean, everybody does it. And unfortunately it's just part of hunting. Um, but luckily he didn't move, didn't do anything that took that shot and, and he went down quickly. Um, and luckily we got it all on film. I was pretty excited about it. So people get to watch me go through hell and complain and throw a fit. And <laughs> just generally, like your body takes such a beating on some of these hunts. Um, the weather plays a huge aspect of it. And, and that's, well, and we didn't really get very much of the video, uh, like packing them out and everything. Cause we were so going back. You remember Caleb only had one liter of water. <laughs> And uh, we're 2,000 feet from the top and like four miles from camp. And we don't have any water. Mm. And we have, to, we have to debone this bull. We have to get his stuff off. Uh, we have to get like his quarters off and get everything ready. Now, normally I would just sleep with the animal that night. And he, Caleb was like, I think we should maybe like try and load up the packs with something a little bit lighter and get out of here tonight because we don't have any water. And we're going to wake up like upset about being dehydrated and stuff. And I'm like, I just kind of said, yeah, I went for it because I would much rather sleep in a cot than on the side of a 45 degree angle hillside, <laughs> but, or my tent or whatever sleeping bag, anything at that point. Cause we were soaking wet and, uh, we tried to get out and it just wasn't happening. We got about halfway out and not, it was one of those things where my pack was so heavy and just the, the incline and I was dehydrated. I had no food. I uh, had no water like every I would sit down and I was so tired that I would like fall asleep within seconds of sitting down every time I had to take a break. So we, we just laid down on the side of this mountain. It was the only night it didn't rain. Thank God. Huh. The only night it didn't rain. We tried to lay down on the side of this mountain. It's like, yeah, I mean, you're almost like standing up at that point because it's so steep and uh, tried to sleep. And it's like one of the worst nights sleep that I've had in God knows how long. Um, we started a little campfire under a tarp, like you were talking about sleeping under a tarp. It's just like, oh shit, this is just terrible. <laughs> Something that you laugh at now, it's just like that was great, but it, I wouldn't change it for the world. But in the in the moment, it's like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> why am I why am I here? So, but it was pretty good. We got we got some really good footage out of it. We got some uh, we got some fantastic like photos. Caleb's a great camera guy. Uh, photographer and everything i'm sure you've seen the one in the red where i'm packing him up the side of that um so we were excited i was excited about it because i've never shot anything more than a, a five point and so to go on to public land and uh and battle the weather and everything else for six seven days seven days i think and and uh 
and get an opportunity to bull with has 27 cows and I was able to get in on them and take a shot and uh we taped him out at 330 and 7 eighths damn so I mean that's that's not a bad but especially for Idaho Idaho um struggles with size unless you have a draw hunter so uh, I was pretty stoked about it he's a six by seven with a crown on the one side he, he's kind of weak on the tops he's a younger bull but I don't really care <laughs> I mean shit that's awesome man yeah, yeah it was a blast I, I had I had a good time with it kind of no I, I take it back I, it was miserable it fucking sucked, I was, was going to say yeah, I'm calling bullshit <laughs> on that <laughs> now that I think about it I had it was a great time it was great fun it was good for Caleb because Caleb's never experienced anything like that he's from the Midwest uh, Kansas City um, he's a guy he shot 197 inch yield deer buck in Utah this year uh, didn't realize it was that big when he took the shot huh. he didn't he thought it was a he thought it was a four point it's like a six by eight jeez um <laughs> yeah but uh he just never to experience that kind of a climb and that big of an animal and we get down to it right and it's it's like laying upside down on a cliff basically and caleb's like we'll just move him around and i'm like <laughs> dude this this 700 pound animal or 600 pound animal we're not moving him <laughs> and I didn't move him but it was a struggle um See, what you do at that uh, point know. is you it's, just have Caleb lay upside down and you stage it and then you just take the whole grip and grin upside down. It's the easiest oh, way to do it. Have you not? Oh, yeah. It's probably better than the grip and grins we got. It's like looking up at us and you look all awkward and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a time and a half. I, I, I'm glad that it happened that way because, I mean, if I'm, if I'm going to be honest with everybody and you and, and I generally, a lot of my content is very... Uh, in depth and and people can figure out that something's going on or what what is taking place in my life at that time um the last couple of years has been like extremely rough for me um i've had a very difficult time like i told you i was kind of stranded here in kentucky we won't get into the depths of it but um i've had to it, it, actually to go on my hunt there was a 30-hour drive from louisville kentucky to boise idaho and 48 hours before I was set to leave on that hunt, I still did not know if I could make it. So it was, it was just one of those things where I, I've had to kind of get back up several times in the last couple of years and uh, fight tooth and nail and scratch and claw to get anywhere. Um, and so to actually make it on my hunt was a surprise. Like I was not sure that I was going to make it. There was a chance that Caleb landed up from an airplane in Boise and I was not there still to pick him up and uh and then when i get out there to my hunt of course it's just got to be a bitch the whole thing has to suck that's just the way the story was written right <laughs> yeah. and it, it sucked the whole time we didn't see any elk we didn't see anything and but then something like something came of it and it just kind of um, was a testament to like the real life shit that i've had to deal with um i've had a hard i've had a rough go about it and um so to have to work through it and then to have something like kind of a special moment in that way. Cause and a lot of times you'll think of maybe like to envision something or this is how it's going to happen. Like this is how I want it to happen in my head. I can promise you that every single time that I've shot a bull in my head over the last year, it has been a frontal shot at like 40 or 50 yards. Mm -hmm. And somehow that's how, that's how it worked out. So um, it was good. And now, now things are going 
better with the company. Yeah, it looks like I'm going to, I'm going to pack up here. Actually, my apartment's mostly empty now. So I'm going to pack up and head back West to start pushing that full time. You guys will see me out about quite a bit more. So it was just, it, I don't know, just the hunt itself was kind of neat in the way that it all came together. And when we put the film together, it'll kind of follow that same storyline. Uh, it was just a brutal, nasty pain in the ass. But so if you had to sum it all up, you know, if you had to look back at this hunt, you know, I mean, this brutal, nasty hunt and look at this badass bowl that you pulled out of hell. You know, if you had to pare this down and maybe kind of, I mean, obviously it's bigger than this, but maybe these two or three things that you would say were really key to your success, what would you say those are? So one of the biggest things that I try to preach to some people is understanding the animal that they're going to hunt. A lot of people will head west or whatever, and they've, they've e-scouted for days or whatever. They, they've spent months looking at terrain and looking at where they think elk are going to be and everything else. But if you don't understand the actual animal and how they like, how they move, when they get up, what their attitude is at different times of the month, all of that sort of thing, that's kind of critical to your success as a hunter. Uh, you're not going to, I mean, yeah, you can spot and stalk and everything else, but to, to know the fact that you can't, you can't kick them when they're bedded or if you do one thing and it doesn't quite work, you, you have to understand like what, what's your next play. You don't go try and redo the same thing over and over again. Um, and, and I knew that the, I knew exactly how these elk were going to move back and forth. So we were able to, we were able to get on this same herd of elk three different times get on the same bull and I knew exactly what he was going to do. And I wasn't going to push it to a certain extent. Like sometimes people will blow them out of the countryside. And I'm like, what, what were you doing? Or why were you following them in there like that? Why are you pushing them? Um, or why, if you're going to try and sneak in on them, then whatever. Or, and the other thing was like understanding the animal. So Caleb, Caleb talks about how they archery hunt mule deer and they're taking like their shoes and stuff off for like a mile before they get to the deer. And they have to like sneak up on them when they're bedded and everything. And he's like, do we got to take our shoes off? I was like, no, dude, make noise. I don't care. <laughs> like a bird and elk, when they're walking around, they're not quiet. And you can be loud. You can like rake on trees or whatever you want to do. So like understanding the actual animal that you're going to hunt and, and it, like what they do in certain like tense situations. So I know where they, I, I had an idea where they were going to go bed at. I had an idea of like, when we pushed them out, as long as we didn't like keep after them, then they were going to settle down and they were only going to go so far. They weren't just going to take off and be gone. Um, and then you have to understand that, that a bull in rut is going to, he's going to make a mistake because he's not thinking clearly. I mean, we're dudes. We understand how that works. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, so it was kind of a, that, that was one of the big things. And then from a, a with any sort of hunting, you have to be mentally prepared for what you're going to go into. And I think that was kind of one of the key takeaways that we wanted to deal with, with the actual film and the video of it was, yeah, I trained from a physical standpoint, which I guess we could get into that, but I trained from a physical standpoint, but it even goes much farther into like the mental capacity of it. Cause if you're not prepared for what you're trying to, like I hear from people all the time that they're like, yeah, I got a six or seven day hunt coming up and then they'll come back after two days. And they're like, ah, I just, I just couldn't, didn't want to be up there anymore. I got to understand like what I'm, what I'm dealing with. And, and it goes, those are the same type of people that say they're going to 
all of a sudden start eating healthy and then two days later they're eating Wendy's. Like, yeah, it's training more than your body at that point to to be able to understand what you're getting yourself into and what you're going to have to go through and possibly what you're going to have to endure. And uh, even me saying, look, I, I gotta, I'm just going to shoot the first like branch bull that walks up. Like that was a, that was a loss in the mental game technically because I was over everything. Um, but it, being able to see it as a different perspective and train yourself on that, that side of it is that's just as important as from a physical side on this type of a hunt. Well, I mean, so, you know, easily 90% of the time, your mind is going to give up before your body does. I mean, it's just, it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, you can be the most physically fit dude in the world, or you can be like me. Um, (laughs) But, you know, your mind is almost always going to give up well before your body does. And, you know, I, I've, I've realized that on those times where, you get yourself into a situation where you, you literally have no choice, but to just keep going. Um, it's either like, okay, I'm just going to lay down and die here or no, I just have to keep walking. Like those are my only choices. Like I can't, I can't just like a better choice. Sometimes I've been there. It's like, I can't, you know, I don't, I don't have a a guy with an ATV to come pick me up. Like there's literally, it's either I keep going or I just kind of, what stop here forever (laughs) like you know once you're in that mindset and you realize you're like well yeah i I hurt i'm tired i'm sore but my body's still going yeah i may not be moving quite as fast or i may not be taking as big as steps but my body's still going still trudging along that was the one really difficult thing about being so i've been dehydrated to a dangerous standpoint coming out of that same like shithole except for on the other side um where i i couldn't make it more than like 30 feet at a time and i had to stop and i had to sit there like a it was like a three mile trek out from underneath like 2500 feet and three miles or something like that it took me almost 10 hours to get out and so that was a that was a situation where from a mental standpoint the only thing that i wanted was to get out of there i wanted to find a way to water i wanted to find a way to bed um but my body was giving out on me. And I'll tell you that that is a, uh, that is a mental challenge unlike any other. And when we, when we were out of water, when we were trying to get out of there in the middle of the night and I knew that I was dehydrated, I was like, I I cannot go through this again. I cannot deal with that. So we had to stop. It's, that is a hard thing to do from a mental standpoint is understanding your limitations at the same time as also knowing that you can make it, um, don't push yourself to the point that you're going to put yourself in a bad situation. You probably know that too. Cause I mean, you blew out your knees in a, a situation where you probably should have taken a moment. <laughs> and, uh, well, you blew out the second one, you blew out the second one, right. When you probably should have done something more differently. But, yeah. um, so from a mental perspective, I guess, yeah. Understanding that you can make it, through just about anything that you're going to put yourself through, but at the same time, also understanding like what limitations are and all like, if you need to stop and rest, you need to stop and rest or you need to do something different or whatever else. So being smart about it is also a, a, a mental hurdle because I, the very first time I did it, I was not smart about it. And I, 
I just kept going and trying to push myself. And I got to the point where when I got back to camp, somehow 10 plus hours later, I had to lay in camp for almost two days before I could break it down. Like my body was physically out of it. I could not, I was not okay. I probably needed to be to a hospital for an IV or something like that. It was bad. Um, I've learned. I take more water now. <laughs> I take, uh, I, I take water filters now. That was back in the day of like the water bottles and stuff like that. But, um, actually I have a shirt on Sawyer. Sawyer, we deal with Sawyer both of us. Um, so I take, I take their water filters out there and everything now. And, uh, I, I try to get water every time I can. The only reason that we ran out of water was because the Creek that was in the bottom of this, uh, ravine was dry. There was no water running in it. So I didn't anticipate that, but yeah, so there, there's a whole bunch of new scenarios that you come up with almost every year from a mental standpoint that you just have to, you have to learn to deal with it and, and uh, make it happen. It's not fun, but <laughs> life lessons that you learn out in the, uh, the hunting field, right? Yeah. Hey, y'all. Jeff has a rather epic beard himself, so I don't think he'd mind me pausing right here to talk to y'all about Live Bearded. Y'all, if you haven't been listening for the past couple of weeks, Live Bearded makes some really top-of-the-line beard care and grooming products. I've never really been a beard product guy, but I can tell you I absolutely love this stuff, and it works great. And ladies, for those of you listening, trust me, this is something you're going to want to get for your man. Guys, the ladies, I guarantee will absolutely love this. It'll take that scratchy, scraggly beard and make it softer, more manageable, and a lot nicer to touch. And it will also make it smell great. And as I've said before, these are not fruity scents like, say, that time you used your girlfriend's lilac conditioner to soften up your beard. Come on, I know you did it. What's even better is every $5 you spend at livebearded.com gets you an entry into their $10,000 cash giveaway. Y'all think of all the tags, gear, and additional beard product you can buy with $10,000 in cash. Also, as a special offer to my podcast listeners, y'all get 10% off if you use code TWI10 at livebearded.com. So y'all head on over, make your lady happy, get your guy something to tame that gnarly mane, and get entered to win. Win that $10,000, use code TWI10 for your 10% off. So I want I wanted to give you a minute to tell us a little bit about uh, Built for the Hunt. So that goes into like one of the other parts of, I guess, training for the hunt and what, or knowing what you can do physically from a hunt standpoint. So I hunt some of these areas. I I have this like sick and twisted, like enjoyment out of putting myself through like hell. Um, when I go on these hunting trips and because I want to see like how far I can push myself, I guess. And, and it kind of started with that when I started doing this backcountry thing, that was kind of it. This turned into a new like game for me of being able, what can I endure? What can I train for? What can I push myself to? It's just like no different than somebody trying to run an ultra marathon or something, but mine is just, I got to shoot something, um, at the end of this. But so the idea of, of this backcountry hunting and everything, and, and I was an athlete growing up, I was a football, baseball player. And, um, I understood that from a physical presence, the, you want to be in shape, but you don't want to be like this bodybuilder shape. And 
but you don't want to be too, uh, they're like a, an outdoorsman and a backcountry hunter, those sort of things were a different type of athlete, I guess you could say. And trying to understand what, what is good for us is, and what's good for each individual is important. And I feel like there's so much misinformation out there about fitness and um, what to take, supplements to take, what your body needs, all these sort of things that it, it kind of drives me nuts. And from an outdoorsman perspective or a hunter perspective, um, we don't, there was no real place for us to go that was like a, an unbiased like platform that had just general information in it, whether it comes from whole food nutrition, where I'm not trying to sell anything it, or, or what. So that's how we started, I guess. And growing up in Boise, that's where bodybuilding.com came from. And since the supplement world has like burst out into the outdoor industry, along with since social media, really, I felt like maybe the one thing that I do know is that from a brand perspective or from a supplement perspective and from a nutrition perspective, it's not always about like what's cool. It's more about what your goals are and what specifically you need for your body. And sometimes people are spending money on stuff that they don't need. And so I wanted to, I wanted to create a platform that was similar to the bodybuilding.com, but for the hunter, for the outdoorsman, for uh, like rock climbers or hikers or everything else, because you might have a goal from like your physical health standpoint, but with all these supplement companies that were direct to consumer in the outdoor industry, I didn't feel like there was a place where people could get all the information to be able to go and compare and contrast and understand what they're putting into their body. Um, as a hunter, as an outdoorsman and stuff, we always talk about how our meat that we get from these animals that we harvest and everything like that is organic and all this other stuff. But some of the things that are out there in the fitness world, when you go to bodybuilding or you go to some GNC, for example, some of the stuff that they're going to sell you is not like, you don't even know what you're pumping into your body. And so I wanted, I wanted to kind of narrow that down for the outdoorsmen to be able to have a place that they could go to and they could understand, um, what their goals are, what kind of ingredients that they need to be looking for based on their situation. And then they can pick and choose from different supplement companies all at one time. So like, yes, we have mountain ops. Yes, we have, we're, we're kind of like a retail platform similar to bodybuilding.com, but it, uh, it's strictly for like the outdoorsman. So we're not going to sell a whole bunch of stuff that probably they don't need, but, or that a bodybuilder would need, for example. We're not going to push all of those things, but we'll push stuff that is better for us as like hunters and outdoorsmen. So we have Mount Ops, we have Dark Mountain, the Bomars are on there. Um, we do have some that are from the, the primarily the fitness world, but it's because of the quality of ingredients that they have. Um, the one we just added was Cage Muscle and Cage Muscle. I'm really big on Cage Muscle because they make a product that is safe for athletes. So one of our ambassadors, he's a pitcher for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And okay. if he can't go by, if he can't go onto my website and buy something that he's not going to get banned from, like possibly get banned from, I don't, I don't know, but you don't want to risk it for him. And so when we can bring in, we can bring in people who they have products that are good for different goals, whether it be weight loss, whether it be endurance, whether it be, building muscle, all those sort of things that these people want for their out, whatever kind of outdoor hunting or hiking or whatever that they want to do, then 
<clears throat> we want to be able to tie all that stuff into one location so people can go there and research it and make sure they're getting what they need to. I know for me, for example, like I always try and gain weight because I shrink if I don't eat right or if I don't go to the gym. And so I want certain ingredients in the supplements that I take to add to benefit to like my whole food nutrition. It's not all about supplements all the time. People forget that supplements are just supposed to supplement your nutrition, like your whole food nutrition. Amazing concept, right? It's not like it's in the name or anything. (laughs) You would be amazed. Like people have, people have messaged in and stuff and they, they want us to, to put out like a whole meal nutrition plan. That's like, Oh, protein shake for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And, and then we, we want the, your snack bars for like our meals and middle day snack. And I'm like, what happened to cooking? Like what happened to the deer that you were supposed to harvest? Like, where's that? Is that just sitting in the freezer somewhere? <laughs> Is it dirty? Like, so getting people to understand that, that maybe, maybe one product is not exactly what they need based on their, their needs or their goals is, is something that's kind of important to me and trying to help people understand that and uh, help people meet their goals and what they're trying to do. I, um, I was going to post this as like a story uh, or a Instagram live video or something, but I get people all the time that they'll message in and say like, I've inspired them to, to work on these different things. And some of the suggestions that I've had, one guy messaged in the other day saying, um, that I'm like an inspiration to him. And, and it, that was hard for me to understand at first, but he, he was talking about how the recommendations that I have and how I've like helped him out along like the last year or so he's, he's lost like 35 pounds and he's able to hike farther into the woods. And, and uh, he really feels like what I suggested for him kind of helped him along the way better than what he was able to do on his own and everything like that. And the fact that I would, I would go out of my way to help him out from a free standpoint. It's not about making money all the time. It's about providing like a resource platform um, so that people can understand what they're trying to do and and go from there. Um, That was kind of something unique to me. And and I I take pride in being able to do that. So yeah, builtforthunt.com. That's that's where you can go. You can research all these companies that we have in in our industry. And um, I guess along the same side, the, all of the companies that we deal with on that platform, they're all supporters of like the second amendment and the hunting community and everything. And most people don't understand when they go buy something from bodybuilding or GNC, maybe they're not, they're not supporting the company maybe that supports what we do. And you'd be surprised at how many companies that I reached out to and I talked to from a supplement standpoint that I think that they have great products. And I was told, no, they don't want any part of our platform because they do not want their name associated with the outdoors. It's like, okay, well, that's a big market for one. So you're turning down money, but at the same time, like I don't, I want to make sure that my money's going like we deal with a sportsman's alliance. We donate to them and we kind of promote them all the time. But I also want to make sure that like, if I'm going to be buying, products from I don't go to REI because REI does not support the hunting industry. Um, That's pretty strong fact. And I want to make sure that what I'm doing is, is kind of supporting in some way, shape or form my lifestyle. And, uh, because if we lose hunting shit, what the hell are we going to do? Um, (laughs) think about it. Like, I don't know. You can go camping, man. (laughs) (laughs) We can go fishing. Apparently fishing is okay. But um, uh, no, I'm gonna have to move. I just have to go to another country. I go to Australia. They shoot stuff year round out there. There you yeah. go. 
Australia or South yeah. Africa, man. That's all you, that's all you got. I don't like spiders though, man. Like, <sighs> <laughs> Oh, they have spiders that are like as big as my head. I don't, uh, yeah, I'd have problems with that. <laughs> <laughs> no floorless tents in Australia for you, man. No, not even, not even, nope. Uh-uh. Uh, <laughs> I, I will take a hermetically sealed cube to camp in. Exactly. Like put me in a bubble, put me in my safe space. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was the, when we, when we developed like, Go for, and we still have a long ways to go. So when I come out to Boise, um, Boise's where I grew up. I never wanted to move back, but I'm going to come back now and we're going to, we're going to try to launch headquarters out there soon. And, um, we're going to do a bunch of different things for it. So it's, it, you guys will see a whole bunch from the company take off. Um, but for now, like everybody can go on, they can, they can watch different content. They can see what we use. You can see the people who are involved in it. Um, Everybody who's involved in Built for the Hunt, they've all been people within like the fitness and supplement industry. Um, we have coaches and trainers who help people with different hunts. We have programs that are that are just for specific goals instead of just saying like, oh, this is a fat loss program or something like that. Like, it, it has to do with training for different hunts and different um, platforms and different stuff that you're trying to do. And then we, we deal with like, we have a couple of dietitians. So that was, that was a big thing too, is we wanted to make sure that the content that we produced was, it wasn't biased in a way. And so like whenever we have nutritional content go up, it's really important to me that these are coming from like dietitians and stuff like that. Like people who can work with doctors and everything else to, to help get people in the right, aim them in the right direction because I didn't want to, Anybody can go online and say, oh, if you do this and this and this, it's going to help. Well, where's your like, where's the proof of that? You don't want it to be just a blog based off of internet research. Basically, yes. And, and the one thing that I have problem, especially in the fitness industry is it's like the media where you and I could have this conversation and they're going to take like, they're going to take like a little snippet out of this sentence and then they're going to take a little snippet out of this sentence and they're going to piece them together to make it sound like what they want. And that's, that's what the supplement, the fitness industry has been for so many years. And I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, people don't want to do the research because it it's long and it's complicated. So if you let me do the research for you, that's fine. I don't sleep anyway, so we can do this. Um, <laughs> we can put it all out there and make sure that, that the content that's going up is really, um, it's true. It's stuff that, that, uh, is coming from people who spent many years in college and everything else that this is what they do. And then even from a training perspective, it's not like, yeah, we might have some stuff that's on there that's strictly built to like building muscle and so forth. But we deal with some other guys who are doing stuff from like recovery or, um, I know we're going to work with uh, Christian, from like archery strong here pretty soon about doing stuff to like getting rid of pain and making sure that like your mechanics and everything from drawing a bow back is, is what you're supposed to be doing. And he has a bunch of different programs for that. So these are guys who have dedicated. They're not just somebody who just got like a fitness degree online in like six weeks. So, um, so that was kind of important to us. And then we also have the media side because my business partner, he started in the film industry side of hunting 
And so you get to watch us go through different, um, we'll eventually do cooking stuff. We have um, recipes and everything up there. Uh, we'll do video content from all of these films. And we also show that, like what we go through from the training perspective and each individual, what we're trying to get done. It just takes some time to build it because it's such a big damn platform. It's not small. We're not just pushing one product. We have free content research content, everything else. So it takes time, but we're getting there. So uh, not necessarily just from a physical perspective, but somebody is uh, training, you know, maybe it's their first elk hunt, maybe it's their first backcountry hunt, whatever it is, but they're, they're getting ready to get after it. What are some, uh, what are maybe some tips for somebody that's preparing for their first real tough backcountry hunt you know someone someone like me that's like okay i i really got to get into it i know i got to get in there to to uh to really get into the elk consistently what can you what tips do you have for someone preparing for something like that um several things that i try and like point out to people and one of them is that it's not all about the legs like you see all the time everybody wants to talk about oh deadlift squat lunges like work on your legs all this other sort of stuff I, I mean, yeah, I still, when I'm getting ready for one of these hunts, I'll still like work on my legs a couple of days a week, but your core and your shoulders, it doesn't, you don't have to bench like a full, I don't bench very much, but um, like my shoulders and your core strength is like super important because it, it's especially your lower back. Because if you're going to throw a 40 or 50 pound pack on and you're going to like trips around the mountains for 20 miles, if your core and everything isn't up to it, like you're going to have a hard time. You're going to lose balance. Um, trying to get in, like if you're in rock or you're in deadfall or anything like that, it's, you're going to have a lot of problems. And then for example, two years ago, the bull that I shot, um, I was nine or eight or nine days into it and I was tired. And when I drew back on that bull, I was, I was at full draw for 90 seconds. It was like 92 seconds before I shot an arrow. And if your shoulders and, and everything else, like if you're not focusing on the, the body parts that you need to actually like get there, um, most people are going to have to let go of that arrow sooner or they're going to make a bad shot or anything like that. And you know what? The, one of the biggest things about like the physical aspects of this is like, I'm a, I'm a huge guy on ethics, making sure that we do things right. And you like, I respect the animals and you owe it to that animal to make sure that you are in the physical condition that you need to, to take that shot. Um, and so if you work on all of your legs, like, yeah, you could, you could squat a car, but if you can't like draw a bow back for 30 seconds, like <laughs> how are you going to make sure when it matters? So it, it's more about making sure that your routine, like full body routines are really great, especially for those and like focusing on your balance and your core and that midsection is probably might even be more important than your legs, because if you don't have that stuff, then you're going to have a hard time when it really matters. Cause it's, it's not like, it's not quick as you can see, like you might, we talked about earlier, it's about time. Like you're going to run through those mountains for days. You're going to lose weight. You're going to get weaker. And it's just a matter of making sure that, that your body in every, in every aspect of it, you don't have to have a big chest. Like that's not going to do anything for you, but um, making sure that you can draw a bow back, you can hold it, or even on a rifle hunt, learning how to like control your breathing. So if you're doing, um, you're going to want to do more like hit workouts, um, high intensity interval training and stuff like that, because it's going to 
you're going to get better at controlling your breathing at that standpoint. And say you got to run up halfway up a hill and then you got to control your breathing to make a shot. If you're not ready for that, if you haven't trained that part of it, you make a bad shot, you hit him in the guts or something like that, or you hit him in the back leg or somewhere, somewhere bad. And now all of a sudden you're, instead of the animal going down, it's wounded and you're going to have to chase it for miles. And, and uh, that's, I don't know about you, but I, I'm kind of a softy. I don't look like it, but uh, if I, if I wound that animal, it's sometimes that's hard on you, um, <laughs> especially from a mental perspective, you're, you're going to have to go through that. So I don't know. That was, that's just kind of my thing is making sure that if you're going to go on one of these big hunts that you're training more than just a specific area of your body, that you're focusing on some of the stuff that is, is going to be hard on you, whether it be your shoulders or breathing or um, like total body movements, balance, those sort of things are, are going to get you a lot farther than if you're going in the gym and you're bench pressing and you're squatting every day. It's just, this is not going to get you anywhere. All right, man. If folks want to find you online, check out, uh, check out all the pictures, check out uh, everything from the hunt. Where can they, uh, they hunt you down? Instagram would be uh, Relentless Hunter, but with uh, HMTR at the end. I don't know why I did that, but <laughs> hey, whatever. Uh, I tried to change it one time and somebody got mad at me, so we just put it back. Uh, Relentless Hunter, um, and then Built for the Hunt with a number four. So not for or anything. So it's, it's the actual numeric four. Um, and same thing with the website built for the hunt.com. You can go on, you can look at the team and part of who we are and what we have and some of the different options. And then uh, you can follow along on different hunts that I go on this year. Just the two um, we do film them. YouTube is the same way uh, built for the hunt. Um, you'll be able to track us all down on there. And uh, yeah, give me a follow and a shout out. And, and uh, if you have questions or anything, feel free you don't even have to necessarily email into customer service to get a hold of us. Like shoot me a message. I try to get back to as many people as I can. I know it, it gets overwhelming sometimes, but I'll help you out the best I can. And if I can, I'm going to send you to somebody who can. So awesome, man. Well, thanks so much for uh, hopping on. Glad we finally got to uh, get this one in the books. Yeah. Well, then we'll have to meet one of these days, but well, Utah this year, I'm guessing, but yeah, we'll make it out uh, we gotta, we gotta make it before that. We'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. All right, y'all. That'll do it for episode 123 of the Wild Initiative. Big thank you to Jeff for taking some time out of his day to hop on the line and chat with me about his elk hunt. Make sure y'all head on over to the show notes page at thewildinitiative.com slash 123. Get links to everything we talked about in today's episode. Also, y'all, make sure you hit me up. Let me know uh, what you think of the conservation coffee breaks. Let me know who you'd like to hear from next. Also, uh, make sure you are listening and checking out the Fish Untamed podcast with Katie burger that's releasing on this feed finally i'll make sure you head on over to livebearded.com pick yourself up some incredible beard grooming products get entered to win that ten thousand dollars and make sure y'all are using code twi10 to get 10 percent off your order all right y'all that's it for today i'm looking forward to next week but until then i hope this podcast inspired you to get involved get outdoors and plan your initiative for the wild Thank you for listening to The Wild Initiative. Please take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher and head on over to thewildinitiative.com to get show notes, check out the blog, gear discounts, other podcasts from The Wild Initiative family, and more. 